Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 115 of Yoga Land. Today, I'm so happy to have the lovely Rosie Acosta on the show. Rosie is a yoga and meditation teacher. She's a speaker and a she's also a holistic health coach, and she is a podcast host. She has a podcast called Radically Loved, and I have been on her podcast. It was such a pleasure, like such a genuine pleasure to talk to her on that podcast. I can still remember that she asked me my least favorite word. And when I said moist, she laughed hysterically, which, you know, I always love to make people laugh. Anyway, Rosie, I first came across Rosie last year when she was part of the Live Be Yoga Tour, which is a yoga journal initiative to bring yoga around the country. I just wanted to talk to her today about her personal journey. She, I've heard her on her own podcast and in different podcasts talk about growing up in East LA in the 90s and having sort of a chaotic family background. And I wanted to know more about how she came to be the person that she is. She's just an incredibly impressive, kind-hearted person. And I feel like she has her intention pointed in a direction that I really respect. So we got into it today. She really talked in detail about what it was like to grow up in an environment where, you know, she had to duck if she heard gunshots when she was in her house and where, you know, she lost friends as a teenager and where she was not educated about food and, you know, became, you know, very overweight as a teenager and how she kind of she tells a story of how she got out of that. And and much of it was was through yoga. So it's just, to me, a conversation that is incredibly inspiring and speaks to the power of the human spirit. And I love to shed light on these stories and just to remember like that adversity is part of, of life. And just to show an example of someone who, who has been able to overcome obstacles. Before we get to the interview, I'll just tell you a little bit about, about where Jason is in the next few weeks he's going out on the road again which is great for you boohoo for me but he is heading to silver springs maryland the washington dc area to willow street yoga august 22nd through 24th is a special injury prevention module for teachers and august 25th and 26th is a weekend workshop He will be starting his 200-hour teacher training in San Francisco that he's co-leading with Laura Burkhart. That starts September 14th. It's weekends of training. So uh, it's actually pretty convenient for local people. It's September 14th through November 19th. And then he is also heading to Europe September 21st. He will hit Copenhagen, London, and Belfast. And then what else have we got going on? It's such a busy fall, you guys. November 9th through 11th, he's in Seattle, Washington. And then November 30th, he starts his first teacher training in Asia in many years. It'll be in Hong Kong at Pure Yoga, and it's module one of his 300-hour training. You can find more information about how to register or get more details about all of these trainings and workshops on our schedule page, jasonyoga.com slash schedule. And one last thing, which is, and I'm going to announce this on social media as well, but I had mentioned a few episodes back that we would be running a live episode that we recorded at Love Story Yoga 
And it was our bonus summer series episode. And I tested the sound before we started and we did the episode and I went to produce it a couple weeks ago and the file just completely got corrupted. It sounds like we're kind of like at a disco or something and there's like a house beat behind us. It's just not going to work, you guys. So we have to re-record that. And so those of you who are there live, you got to see like a little exclusive piece of content that the world will never exactly see again. Although we will record this bonus episode with the same questions again soon. Okay, enjoy the interview with Rosie. So hi, Rosie. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So I, when we were emailing back and forth, first of all, I was so happy to be on your show. Thank you for having me on. And for anyone who hasn't listened to it, go listen. Rosie has her own podcast called Radically Loved. And one thing that I know about you is that you grew up in East LA in the 90s. And when we were emailing back and forth, I let you know that I was actually at UCLA for uh-huh. about eight months in right after the Rodney King riots. And it was just, there was just, it was palpable. You know, it, it was a really interesting and chaotic time to, to be in Los Angeles That wasn't the only thing, you know, that had happened in Los Angeles at that time. There was just a lot going on. And you're really open about the fact that you grew up in part of that chaotic environment. And I'm just wondering if you can tell the story that you've told before about kind of a turning point for you when you actually, you know, when you were were like face to face with the police. Oh, oh, yeah, that. Oh, you know, it's funny. I've spent probably 85% of my life not talking about it just because I I wanted to like blank it out, you know? Um, but it's funny as of late, uh, I would say as of late, like the last probably 10 years or so since I've been teaching, I, I started to feel like, Oh, this is so much a part of my journey. And it's so much a part of my story that it, it, it just didn't make sense for me to not share, Mm -hmm. you know, what had happened. And so, as you mentioned, I did grow up in a little bit of a, a lot of bit of a chaotic environment. And, uh, yeah, that, that time was extremely intense and, and even taken the riots that particular April, that spring out of the equation, we were in a chaotic environment regardless. Mm -hmm. It just was, you know, the, we're just surrounded by a lot of gang violence and, chaos. And, you know, there was a lot of people living in a one bedroom apartment complex. And, you know, there was just, it just wasn't the the safest, most conducive to learning environment. Mm -hmm. I remember there was, you know, one of my best friend's uh, brothers got shot during a drive-by shooting and the neighbor, the neighbors across the way, the husband almost killed his wife, who was a friend of my aunt's because they were, you know, he was beating her. It just, that was just kind of the norm. You know, every night you could hear, I mean, we heard sirens every night, but we were also raised with this idea that we just didn't talk to the police. You just didn't do that. You know, the authority was the enemy. I was just listening to the daily um, podcast had a series on just policing in Baltimore. And I learned so much from that. And, you know, what they said was when zero tolerance policing started, they taught their kids 
to to basically run from the police because it was just such there was just so much tension and conflict that they didn't they didn't want their kids to get picked up because if they got picked up, they would get hurt and you know potentially get hurt. So so I, I just had never learned that before, like that you know, of actually like instilling that in your kids. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. So I understand. And so, and and in that area, it was very, like, it was very predominantly Latino and African-American, you know? And so, and and there was some pockets of Vietnamese, uh, different Asian cultures. And so we were, you know, it's LA, it's melting pot, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But so we were just kind of like that, that was the commonality. That was the common enemy as you say like it was the common like we just didn't speak to the authorities and so anytime anything would happen on our little block the police would come and they'd always be questioning people and of course like you know there was a lot of undocumented people around Mm -hmm. that were just freaked out about getting taken away and so a lot of people wouldn't speak to the police because they just were in fear and they just learned to not speak to any authority figures. And even, you know, when the thing happened with our neighbor across the way, I remember this police officer came up to my sister and I and and one of my little cousins and we're just kind of playing outside. And, you know, he came over and he's like, Hey girls, like, did you guys see what happened? And we were like, Nope. (laughs) You know, wow. Clearly, you know, we're like, you know, five, six, seven years old. And, you know, we learn, you already knew it's just like, yeah, very, we just kind of knew, oh no, you just don't say, mm-hmm. even though internally there was always this conflict. And this is kind of the thing that I, I always like to speak to, especially when I work with, with, uh, at risk youth or, you know, I'm talking to kids that have had a similar type of upbringing the, there's this like loyalty thing too. That's like, you have to be loyal to the people that are protecting you. The mm-hmm. people that are protecting you are, and sometimes the people that are protecting you are the ones that are doing the harm. Hmm. They're the ones that are doing the hurting. And so it's such a, a, a paradox for a child to understand that there are things that are hurting us and, and we have to protect those things. Does that make sense? Completely. Yeah. It's like you protect your own, you protect your own, your quote unquote family, even if it's not just your immediate family, it's the people you live with, the people you live around, even though you know they're flawed. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, yeah, I can imagine that it can be really, really hard, really hard. Yes. And when you grow up that way, you don't know any better. So there's no, there's no barometer to oh, this is the way things should be as opposed to, oh, these, these are the way things are. It's just, we were just surviving. Yeah. There was just your ability to survive. Mm. That was always the biggest goal for, for us. It's like, don't die, you know? Wow. And as a child, like you just, you kind of just deal, you know, you just kind of deal with this type of environment. And then as you grow older, you start to see that there are certain things that just aren't right in the world, that there are other choices that can be made that can maybe create a life with less stress and less anxiety and less tension. And so for me, you know, growing up in that environment, always feeling that something wasn't quite right. uh, There was two choices. We didn't have role models. We didn't have people to look up to. You know, of course, there was teachers in school that were some of my favorite teachers, you know, the ones that are, that were always speaking to my potential or, or my creativity or my ability to get along with everybody in my class, these types of traits that again, weren't really celebrated in my home environment, you know, because 
you just survived. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. It, it just was one of those things where growing up, once I became a teenager, you know, you go through that rebellious phase, you start to kind of understand yourself a little bit more. And, and you come to this crossroads where you have to make a choice. And I was learning a lot during that time. My parents separated by the time I was 10 and I was living with my father. And then I, I had to go live with my mother as I was getting a little older because he just didn't have the means to care for me. And so I was still living in, in the East Los Angeles area. We moved, I think, closer to Rosemead, which is like closer to uh, East LA college. And I started to have debilitating panic attacks, Mm. like debilitating panic attacks where I, I couldn't, it it was almost like a delayed PTSD reaction. It might have been. It might have been. Yeah. I mean, this was really my only explanation. That's like, as I was a kid, yeah, I suffered from a lot of like sleep deprivation and anxiety, Sure, but I just didn't, nobody knew any better. You know, it's like, it wasn't abnormal that we would have to duck down if there was a drive-by shooting or if we would hear gunshots or if we'd hear people fighting outside, like physical altercations, you know, it just, we just, that was part of it, you know? So when I, I, as I was growing by the time, you know, I, I turned 12, 13, my two of my best friends from elementary school who grew up in the same environment, they, they died. And so so that's, I know they, it was pretty tragic. They died during the El Nino storm. Do you remember that? Were you here when that, when that happened? No, I was actually already in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But do you remember that storm? I do. It was just a massive storm. Yeah. So what we would do is we would, we went to different high schools. We would ditch school and go to the wash. We called it right. So where the LA river is and, and everyone would go and smoke pot. Yeah. 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 And so one of the times that they did that, I, I happened to not be there. In fact, I think I had already gotten into trouble for ditching. So I was trying to be good, you know, <laughs> and, um, two of them and, uh, one of their oldest brothers and another friend, they got taken by the water, you know, by the water, the water came, they ended up drowning. That is during crazy. the storm. Yeah. And so that kind of, I think was sort of the, the pivotal moment where I started to really act out as they say, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right. I started to kind of act out. I started to get really bad anxiety and sleep deprivation. I was just kind of starting to all of those things from the past started to kind of show up and I started ditching more. I started to get into more trouble. And finally this particular situation happened my sophomore year in high school where Uh, I was with a bunch of friends and there was a, there was like a a little sting operation, I guess, Mm -hmm. that was happening where there was this little park by my high school and there were, it was often, often frequented by local, you know, gangs and drug dealers, like just kind of low, low grade people, not anything crazy, but I guess any level of that kind of dealings is, is not great, but whatever, like it was, it wasn't anything that was newsworthy, but, but there were some people at the park that I think the police were trying to get. And so what they did was there was some sort of 
chase that happened that ended at the park. And so there was two police car vehicles that were left with the car that they were chasing. Everyone got out of their vehicles. And I guess the police officer, police officers started to chase the assailant on foot. Okay. Hoping that the, the person that they were targeting at the park would come to the vehicle, or I guess they knew the person who they were chasing. It was just, do you, I, I don't really know exactly how they set it up, but this wasn't anything I found out until, till after the fact, right. Where you get the whole printout of, of the report. Oh, okay. So I, you know, show up because I, I had left class early, AKA ditched my last period. And I came to the park and there was a, a police car just there. And, and I saw these two cars, lights on, another car, door open. And I go over there and there was one of my friends hanging out at the park. And I was like, oh, what happened? And they kind of just said, oh, the, the police just, they chased this guy on foot. They just kind of left their cars there. And I was like, oh. So what happened was I ended up going to, um, <laughs> I, I went, <laughs> this sounds so silly. I can't even believe I'm talking. This is like the first time I've actually ever shared this story. Andrea, just so you know, I just went there. I'm sorry to put you right on the spot right away, but it is. Just, oh, that's so funny. Okay. So I, uh, one of my friends kind of, you know, on a dare was like, Oh, go, go, ch- you should go check out that car, you know, like go see the, the police car see what's in there. If there's anything in there that you can take or whatever. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I go over there and I go and I sit in the, in the car seat, you know, in, in the the driver's side and I'm messing with the steering wheel and there's like a shotgun that's like locked in there. You know, Uh you can't really take it out. You know, it's like there's the police radio and there's all these different lights and buttons and stuff. And I'm just kind of like sitting in there back. I mean, I'm so glad there was no cell phones and stuff because I just think of the stupid things that I would have just tried to Insta story or something, you know, like you just, <laughs> you think of just some things as a teenager anyway. So I'm sitting there and then I got out and I'm like, and I thought that that was the end of it. But then somebody said, Oh, you should take the car on a little joy ride. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that's a great, that's a great idea. Oh my gosh. Right? I mean, why wouldn't I do that? And I knew, and here I am, like, I just, I, it, there, I wasn't, and I can't even, I don't have the excuse that I was on drugs or I was high or anything. <laughs> you were just, just a like, teenager. Was, you were a teenager. I was just a teenager. Yeah. And so I, I get in the car, I sit down, I close the door, I put it in drive. And then I start backing out and there's like six police officers. They all come, they surround the car. Oh my God. I get out of the car, like wanting to disappear, you know, and my hands are up and, and I talk about this, but it's like the funny thing. I'm wearing these, these black cotton fingerless gloves with pandas on them, you know, and I'm just like getting out of the car, like, Oh, what's going on? You know, that whole thing that you might want to do with like, Oh, what just happened? I don't know. Who, oh, silly what, me. Like, oh yeah. It's just this, this, what, what's happening here? So I got out and there's like six guns, like coming straight at me. And at that point I went right back to my childhood because mm. I'm like, Oh, this is how people get killed. You know, like this is, this is what happens, you know, and not only is this what happens, but this is what happens to my people. Mm. Like it kind of went there because that's just sort of the conditioning the conditioning, the mental conditioning that happens where it's like, here's the authority, they're the enemy, and now they're coming for you, yeah. right? So I was just like in that moment, 
as they say, like you have your life kind of flash before your eyes and you're just, you don't know what to do. And so they came, you know, and they, they told me to, you know, drop my weapon and drop my weapon. I'm like, I don't have anything. I'm like wearing like, you know, these, these cut off jeans. And I'm like, I'm like kind of like a rocker kid, you know what I mean? So it was just, it was just kind of an out of body experience. I got on the ground, they handcuffed me and they did the whole thing. And then they're like, you're under arrest for, you know, I don't remember what they said. They put me in the the back of the police vehicle and I was like, Oh, this is it. Like, this is, this is now my life. Like Mm. this, this will now become my life. And there was almost a little bit of this, like, Oh, this is just, this is the normal thing. This This is is what was meant to to be. Yeah. 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 So there was a, a, a little bit of that sort of almost comfort in the knowing, like, hmm. this is my destiny, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But there was also a little part of me that was fighting that, that was like, no, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. This isn't real. This isn't the way things should be. And I remember that this will kind of give you a little bit of insight as to how bad I was being. My my mother said, if if I ever called her, from a police station that she would just leave me there. Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. So I ended up calling my my father and he came and he picked me up. And, you know, it ended up obviously like that incident ended up taking over my entire life because I was put on probation. I had a curfew. I had to do a hundred hours community service. My mother had to pay thousands of dollars in restitution fees, go to anger management. I had to go to therapy. I had like all of a sudden, basically like in, in that moment, my, my, my life completely changed. And what I used to think before, again, it's like thinking the authority was the enemy was, oh, they're just setting me up for failure. And I'm saying they didn't, they didn't necessarily set me up for success. I will say like it made it, I can see how somebody in my position and even kids that I've worked with, they make it really difficult for kids to try to rehabilitate themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, they ask for a lot, but for me personally, all of those parameters, all of those rules were really what saved my life. Wow. Because my desire to not go to jail was so much more powerful than my desire to acquiesce to the status quo. It sounds like it was also a huge wake up call for you. Yeah. Because like you said, you were just being a kid and you were being like a sassy kid and you were being, you were (laughs) testing the boundaries and the limits, which is what kids do. And you, in like the course of a few minutes, yeah, your, your, your life really changed and it could have been much worse. And you must've sort of felt that and known that. Yeah, I definitely did. It it was definitely, you know, I, I talk about it. It was a, a pivotal moment in my life where I, I knew that I had the opportunity to change what my destiny was in that moment. Hmm. And even though it felt a little bit wavering and it didn't feel stable for me because I didn't even know which way to go. I knew that going the way that was the norm was going to make me so unhappy. And I knew that I, I didn't actually see much of a life past high school. Like I didn't actually see a life worth living, Mm. you know, 
past yeah. that time, I was just like, oh, just I'll probably get to 18 and then that'll be it, you know? And it's, it's such a like intense, and I, you've talked about this before. I mean, I, some people would say, oh, that's what a, that's what depression sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, maybe I was depressed. But again, it's like, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. You, you actually have said something, which I just want to read really quickly, because I think it's just so poignant. You said there are two types of people. There are people who grow up with the security of knowing that there's a, you said that the ladder is there, meaning like there's a ladder that you can climb to get to where you need to go. The next choice they make is secure. And then there are the people who don't even know there's anything to reach for. Yeah. So how do you think you went, you know, being in this environment where there was, you know, you, you've said like the choices were sort of like, you'd have babies really young, you'd go to jail or you'd end up dead. How do you, how did you know there was something to reach for? I think mostly it was, it was just an inner knowing Mm -hmm. and this isn't, I, I, and I wasn't able to articulate it apropos until I started practicing yoga Mm -hmm. because I didn't know what that inner voice was. Nobody ever said to me, Oh, you got to trust your intuition or listen to yourself or listen to that tiny voice. It was like, just do this. Don't die. Stay <laughs> totally. out of trouble. Totally. You know? Totally. It's like there was nobody in my, or, or pray or just get hand it over to God. You know, it's like, I I've said this before, I'm a recovering Catholic. So I was kind of raised that way too. It's like, Oh, if you're suffering, you're not praying hard enough. And uh-huh. it's like, okay. <laughs> like, okay. So I'm just going to, Okay. Mm -hmm. I I get that, but I also kind of question it. So I think it was just really an inner knowing almost like the best way. And people have asked me this before, especially again, when I work with kids that are in it, in this right now, today, I always tell them that there's this thing that you have to listen to this thing where it almost feels like this, the life that you're living feels like a movie like you're playing a character. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like, I felt like this whole life, the way I grew up was a big classroom and I was just playing a character. Mm -hmm. I was just playing the character that was assigned to me. Right. And I think that the moment where I started to feel, where I started to get that sense of clarity and I started to listen to that, things started to happen that I couldn't explain. Like all the parts would fall into play. I I would all of a sudden new people would come into my life that were more in alignment and, and more conducive to my own personal growth than the other. All of a sudden my bad friends started to drop off. All of a sudden I started to attract more people in my life that were more mentor like, you know, I, I started to have a desire of wanting to see what it was like to just live this other life, to see what it would be like to be successful and to have dreams Mm -hmm. and to have goals and to have aspirations. Like that was okay. Mm -hmm. You know, the other problem, and I don't know if we talked about this or not. The other problem for me was that I grew up sort of with this belief because of my surroundings, family members, people in my life, that if you had dreams, that meant that you thought you were better than everybody else. Oh my gosh. That is such, I can I have that in my family as well, that you too? in my extended family. So I, I think that is partly like, um, when your parents or your grandparents are recent immigrants, mm-hmm. it's, it's like you said, it's like, 
And because I think you're, you're, did both of your parents immigrate here or just? Yeah, yeah. They, did. they both did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, like you said, so much is focused on survival. Yes. The family cannot deal with other people who have superfluous ideas. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> we need to survive. We need to get to a safe home. We need to have enough food on the table. We need to have a steady job. We need to not make too much of a fuss and, you know, not call attention to ourselves. And, and yeah, and, and it's almost like there's just no room for that, that, that dreaming and that, yeah. 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 Yes. Uh, and, and I don't, and part of me, it's like, I've always wanted to try to understand where that comes from. I've had so many, so many moments of trying to change people's minds or try to like, you know, there's again, going back to, so my big thing is obviously working with kids that grew up the way I did mm-hmm. in similar situations, because I feel like there's so much potential there and and for people to understand what that potential is, is super important. But what people don't speak to is like, you have to be in an environment that's going to be conducive to that, mm-hmm. especially when you're young, you have to, and it's, it makes it that much more hard. Not saying it's impossible. I mean, I did it. Yeah, you did. That's amazing, Rosie. And not to say that my parents were like trying to stifle my growth. They just weren't, they, they just, they just didn't, I mean, I hate to say this. It's like my, my father is very sort of like, you just don't grow past a certain point because then you leave your family behind. I was going to say, I actually was having that thought. I wonder if part of it is the fear of losing people, losing your children yeah. to the family, you know, like having yeah. them leave the family and the tribe and, yeah. and the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so there, there, it's the feeling, I, I think it's, it's more of the feeling of uh, abandoning. It's like, don't leave me because then that means you don't love me. If yeah. you, if you, if you realize that, you are better than us, mm. then you'll realize how not enough we are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think that for me, just having that understanding that, and look, this is years of therapy too. Mm-hmm. Don't forget those court ordered. So I was able, I'm, and I'm so grateful for it now. Are you kidding? I'm just like, man, the best thing that happened was my court ordered therapy when wow. I was a teenager because yeah. I feel that was super helpful. And I actually continued it even after, after it was required because it was so, it was so helpful. And I realized that none of that, I didn't have to go from one extreme to the other because initially the the one extreme was like, Oh, I just need to move away. I need to go travel and I need to just go like be a hippie and a hitchhiker and like, just go leave this place. I, I did end up leaving, but, but it took a while for me to get to that, that point because I was, I, I knew that I needed to feel secure just in my own ability. Mm-hmm. And, and I also didn't want to abandon my, my tribe and I didn't want my family to feel spurned in any way because it was important to me, you know, you know, I did, I did my best for, for the time. And once I started to actually see some some results in my efforts, changing my lifestyle, changing the way that I did things. You know, I, I was largely on a fast food diet when I was a teenager. So I was like, not only suffering from all of those things, I, w- I was also on vacation uh, for anxiety and I was severely overweight. And so once all of this hodgepodge of events happened, I, I kind of just wanted to turn my entire life around. And mm. like I said, 
the right people started coming in at the same time. And I'm talking like just so random. Like I made, I remember making a choice, like I want to be happy. And, and if I did, I remember talking to a God and her infinite wisdom, right? I was like, God, if I really am meant to live a longer life, then you will show me the way you'll bring people into my life that are going to help whatever my efforts are. And I didn't know, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't be like, Oh, have somebody come in to say, Hey, you're going to, you know, sign up to run a marathon and you're going to get healthy and you're going to get nutrition certified. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. any of that stuff. It was just like, I I just want, just show me something. I need to just see something and I'll know it when I see it. Yeah. And that week I remember meeting my friend's brother. It was actually a, a personal trainer and at a Bally's Total Fitness. Do you remember Bally's Total oh, Fitness? Oh, yeah, I totally do. <laughs> I totally do in LA. Yes, I do. Yeah, Bally's Total Fitness. <laughs> and so he was a trainer there, and he was all into holistic health, organic eating. He was into yoga. Like, he was into all of these, like, really cool, new-agey ways of of living. And yeah. for me, I was always interested in in the new agey stuff, just because, you know, it was something, it was out of the norm. Right. And so he was basically the one that came in and was like, Oh, you should, you know, if you don't feel well and you're having anxiety, like maybe try changing your diet, maybe try working out, like try signing up for a gym or try doing these different things. And I did them and whoa, like I noticed the difference right away. Wow. And right, right away, my body started changing my mental state started changing. Like I said earlier, I started hanging around different people. And at the time, my mom was at the same time was having that sort of self-development phase, you know, and she started going to the self-realization center right on Sunset Boulevard, which is uh, a center founded by Paramanza Yogananda. Mm -hmm. And so my introduction to yoga was first as a philosophy and as a way of living, uh, not as a physical uh, practice, mm-hmm. not until years later. And so that's kind of what set me on, on the, the health train, because I started to see the difference. And then I started to get the positive for the most part, the positive sort of validation from people like, Oh, you're doing so well, like you look so healthy and what are you doing and what are you doing differently? And then, you know, you get the the other third of the people that are you know, saying, oh, now you think you're better than everybody else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So so then there's that battle. Well, you must have just really had a fire inside of you because like you said, you know, you, you didn't have, like, I'm sure you had wonderful, loving role models, but you didn't have a role model of being the person who you are right now, of being an entrepreneur in your thirties. And (laughs) it's amazing. So, and then you also, like you said, you also had to kind of cut some ties in order to, to succeed on your own. So it's just really impressive. And I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy you're out there telling your story. So at what point did the, the, did the yoga kind of really hook you? Like at what point did you realize it that was the path? Cause it sounds like you had several possible paths. You went to college, you, I, I know you said you managed a hair salon and obviously you were into fitness and nutrition, What was it about yoga that really, that really drew you in? I think that really once I I started to, I I found that because of the, the chaotic and 
uh, unstable environment I grew up in. All I wanted was routine and stability. Uh, I just craved ritual in my life. Like I just craved having like structure and security and having things to do, you know, Yeah. to, to have something to do and, and somewhere to go. So once I got to that point, there was, there was the fire, but a lot of the fire was also like, I'm going to prove you wrong. You know, yeah. it was like, it was like, not you, like anybody at large, but mostly it was the people I, I was surrounded by, you know, mm-hmm. some family included. You know, I wanted to prove to everyone that I was, I was so much more than what was expected of me. Hmm. And so I, I was going through this, through this path, as you said, I was working at a hair salon. I, I decided I wanted to go to college because I wanted to I wanted to do something more with my life. And at that point it was like education was the way, right? Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. was, it was just go to college and try and find what your interests are. And I went through several different, I went to one extreme where I was like, I want to be a doctor. Then I want to be, I want to really prove people wrong and become a doctor. And then I did med school for about a year and a half. And I was like, Oh, that's not going to work. Wow. <laughs> You gave yeah. it a good try though, year and a half and having to get in and do everything it took to get in. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I was uh, of course like paying my own way and, wow. and trying to, and working full time and the whole thing. I, I almost felt like for me, keeping myself busy was the key, like keeping myself as busy as I could just, just do as much as I could was, was the key to just keep myself going. Right. Uh-huh. Which is kind of like, the opposite of what I need to do now. But uh, anyway, I I digress. So during that time, uh, that same coach friend told me that I should, I should consider running a marathon and, and I should consider practicing yoga, like the actual physical, physical asana. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know, maybe sure. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And so I went to center for yoga which is now a yoga works, but back in the day, oh, it was yeah. Center. In Larchmont? Or in Larchmont. Oh, uh-huh. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first yoga class I took, first yoga studio I went to. And, um, and I went and, and the minute I took my first class and I just kind of felt everything <laughs> like make sense. Like hmm. my life in that moment, in that room, and you've been to that space. Yes. Yes. It's like, there's so much energy in that space. Like there's it, the way it's set up, it's, it's just, it's so conducive to having a really immersive yogic experience. There's been so many sage, sage teachers that have taught there. And I feel like maybe it's like residual energy from, from all of it, but it just, it felt like, uh, I just talked about this. I, I just did an interview where I said, uh, the minute I walked into that room before I even did anything, I felt like I was home. Mm, that's exactly how you, my the yoga my first yoga studio felt to me too. Yeah, there was some it was like there's that just like ah mm-hmm. you know like I'm like oh here I am and I and again it's like one of those things you've you've never done before but there's sort of this recognition I I feel the familiarity of this space somehow. Yeah. And whoever I am here is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, in that moment for me, I, I didn't even, I mean, I don't want to say I didn't exist, but it, it almost felt like, oh, none of this matters. Like I, 
in this moment, everything, everything is, is here. Everything is present. Hmm. Everything is connected. And, and my story, my narrative, my physicality, like none of this matters right now. Hmm. Like what matters is the space and being here and being with these people. I don't even know. I've never met before. Everyone was so nice. Like it was like church, you know? Yeah. It was like church. Yeah. And that was it. That was, that was the only feeling I needed in that, that one moment. You know, it took me a couple of years. I, I would say probably, and I would practice, you know, consistently. I, I think I was during, cause I was working full time and going to college. And so that was kind of my means to keep my life together at that point. It was like my sanctuary space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As the years progressed um, and my my career interests started to change as well, you know, you're in your early 20s, like you you decide you want to be like a ghost hunter one day and then the next day you want to be a marine biologist and then you want to go to culinary school and then you want to be a personal trainer. It's just like the whole thing was happening, yeah. especially because I didn't have those. Nobody primed me like I, I grew up not thinking I was going to live past 18. And now all of a sudden it's like, I have a whole new world to open up to me. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I kind of went through the gamut and it's funny because so Tori, my other half, we started dating when I was 21. So he's kind of seen the whole plethora of, of career paths and, yeah. and different things that, but, but the yoga was always consistent. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a, a few years in, I, I did a, a teacher training. I did it through yoga works since I was the, the studio I was practicing at. And I didn't do it with the intentions of teaching. I, I just wanted to deepen my practice. And at the time I had just transitioned jobs from, uh, working at the hair salon because of the salon, it was like kind of, uh, not doing so well. And it was kind of right before the recession hit and, you know, the financial economy was kind of going down downward spiral. Yeah. And so I, I ended up getting a job with a, a, you know, celebrity personal trainer. And that's kind of what set me on the path of like, oh, this is maybe something that I could do for a living. Maybe this is, this is my way of being able to help people because I always wanted to, I always wanted to help people like myself, you know, people that, that didn't have any aspirations of, 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 you know, moving past choices that they didn't see were even there. Mm -hmm. So that was always my incentive to anything. I, anything I decided to do, there had to be some sort of element of giving back or reaching out to younger kids or teenagers or, or the youth that was in a similar situation than I was. And so, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the, the fact that you you always make reference to your teacher, Rod Stryker, because oh, yes. <laughs> I feel like in this day and age, people some some people sort of appear on the yoga scene and act like they never even had a teacher, which I find really bizarre. <laughs> like really bizarre. I'm very old school in that way. So I'm just wondering, you know, I have taken just a few classes with Rod over the years at conferences and worked with him on a few small pieces for Yoga Journal. And I've always been so, he has such an impressive presence and just like his voice is amazing and his depth of knowledge is amazing. I'm just wondering how you found him or, or how you knew that he was someone you really wanted to, to study with more regularly. Like I'll try to not get emotional. Oh, like, no. <laughs> I, I definitely do. And I, and I find it really unfortunate when, when, 
you know, people get weird about the teacher student sort of culture, right? So I'm a traditionalist like you are, you know, it's like you learned it from somewhere. It didn't just come down. And it's funny because he talks about this. He says, you know, we don't ever, we can't intuit our way around certain things. Like if you're, if your car is breaks down, you don't try and fix it yourself. You go to the mechanic, you know, if you're sick, you go to the doctor, you know, why is it that for our spiritual path, we decide we can intuit our way around there, Mm. you know? Yeah. And so I, I always found that interesting. So one of my favorite teachers, um, and I would say probably first real yoga teacher, Jean Heilman at Center for Yoga, uh, was a longtime student of, of Rod's mm-hmm. and was also the teacher of one of my, one of my uh, best friends, Eka. You know, she was my, my teacher. And so, and I loved everything she taught and everything she stood for and, and the things that she, how she would thread in yoga and tantra and and philosophy and and this holistic way of of living and i was always curious and she would always tell me that you know i needed to go study with rod and she's like you should come see see rod and he'll be at this or he'll be here and i just i never had a desire because i i didn't understand the whole teacher student mm. relationship i just was like well you're my teacher yeah you know, yeah, like, yeah yeah we're, we're good. I don't, you know, (laughs) yeah, I'm happy. I'm like, why are you trying to pawn me off? Did I do something? You know what I mean? I'm just like, what's happening here? Why are you trying to get rid of me? I I finally, uh, I went back in 2000, I think it was 2007, 2009, maybe. Was it 2009? Yeah, I think it was 2009. It was a yoga journal conference in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And I went, and at this point I had already, I think, yeah, I think I was, I had received a certification. I don't think I was teaching. I think I was still working, you know, but, but I was still doing all of the workshops and trying to deepen my own practice and, and whatnot. And I went and I, I heard him and I, and I really liked him. Yeah. I really, I liked what he had to say. And he was talking about a book he was writing called the four desires. I don't think it was out yet. And I, I really, I liked what he was saying. And I, I, I felt, a a connection. Um, but I didn't feel like, Oh, this is my teacher. It just was like, Oh no, I, I like this. I like him. I like what he's saying. And I, again, I come from a place where I'm very apprehensive and I don't trust anyone. You know what I mean? Right, like that, yeah. that sort of mentality. I'm just yeah. like, always have a little bit of reservations. It's, it's really challenging for me. But you probably have very good bullshit radar. Uh, yes, 100%. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. And so, <laughs> um, so we, that, it was a great experience and, and I liked it. And so the next year he came, he came to LA and I think he did a workshop or something and I went and, and I started to kind of just grow my curiosity and, and really start to do some more research and he would, he would always give us these prompts and I'm like, where is he getting this from? Like, I want to know where he's reading this from. And, and I, I just, my own curiosity just started to spawn from that. And then the year after that, I think officially I started, uh, I became his student, I think in 2011 where I, I ended up going to a five day intensive and that was, that was it. Yeah. It's like, Oh, like there's my teacher. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it. And ever since that, it just, the the sort of like the missing piece of the puzzle, I think, came in right at that moment because I realized, wow, like 
what he says. It's like, you just need to find somebody whose light shines a little bit brighter than yours, you know? Mm -hmm. And that really helped me. And it helped inspire me to become a teacher and to, um, you know, do really, I'm not going to say, Oh, it's because of my teacher that I I've done everything, but without my teacher, I wouldn't have, have achieved all the things that I've achieved to this, to this day. Uh, that's such a nice way of thinking of things for people who feel, you know, apprehensive about stepping into the role of a teacher. I even feel yeah. that way a little bit. You know, I, I just, now when I go to events where Jason is teaching or do live podcasts, people sort of will, will say to me that they consider me one of their teachers and it's just not a role yeah. that I'm accustomed to. And it feels so big and fraught with responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's yeah. a nice way to think of it. It's just like, how did he say it again? You, you need to find someone whose light is a little brighter than yours. Yeah. Whose yeah. light shines a little shines brighter a little. than yours. Well, it's like the, so, so, you know, it's like guru, the root guru. Right, right, right. The bringer of light, you know, so it's, and, and always we should aspire to find the guru within. And so for me, if I ever felt like my teacher was disempowering my own ability to find the wisdom within myself, I would say that there is an issue there. But I think it's part of our responsibility, our own responsibility, even as teachers to empower our students and empower our people. And, and I think that that's sort of why I gravitate towards him so much is because he's always empowering us to to find the practice that's going to work for us to aspire to, to live this path and the tapestry that is yoga mm -hmm. in a way that's going to be sustainable for mm -hmm. us mm -hmm. and not as like, Oh, follow me or you'll never achieve enlightenment. It's like that. That's a scary uh, right. type of, mentality. But as you know, Rod, I mean, you know, you know how he is. And it's like of all the, the gurus and teachers that I've met, and I've studied with a lot of different teachers, you know, I, I feel like I will always, it, he says, anytime you're looking for a teacher, look for people who inspire you and, and people who live the life that you can see yourself living. Mm. Do they live their practice? Mm -hmm. How do they live outside of the studio? He's like, is there life a complete wreck or yeah. are they, are they human? Are they preaching something that they're outside doing the opposite? Like yeah. what kind of, who, what kind of person are they and how, and what areas of their life do you want to aspire to? And if there are areas that you aspire to, then, you know, you, you can definitely learn from. And I think that it's exactly what you said, how, how you're like, oh, it's fraught with responsibility. But I'm like, yeah, but that's your responsibility as a yogi too, you know, because you do have so much more knowledge and experience. Well, and I know you and I know the work <laughs> that you do. So I'm like, of course, people are going to want to follow you because it's like your light is, is brighter and people want to aspire to that and to learn from that. So well, thank you. It is. It, it's nice. No, it's nice. Nice to feel like after all these years of study and, and work and like self-reflection and therapy and <laughs> acupuncture and God knows what else, like that I, I have something to offer. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. Okay. Yeah.
want to talk a little bit about life. Well, so I have like a bunch more things I want to talk to you about. I, <laughs> I, I want to go back for a moment to talk about the work that you do with kids. And um, yeah, I'm just wondering if you're still actively, you know, if you still have time to teach kids and what form that takes. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I used to volunteer at the Y here in LA. They, they used to have this program where it's like, we, we would just come and spend time with the kids. And like, I would just do like a yoga class or we would, most of the time it, they just wanted to talk, mm, you know, they mm-hmm. just wanted somebody to talk to, which, which we would do. And it'd be great. Now I, in the last probably six to seven months, I haven't done as much as I'd like only because of, of travel and such, but beginning this fall, I'm, I'm going back to this program that one of my friends started that's geared towards the youth, uh, especially uh, in lower income parts of, of Los Angeles that um, they have different types of programs where they rent certain space and they have kids come in kind of like a summer camp day uh-huh. for kids. Um, but right now, what, what I've been doing mostly is working with my friend Larea Gaston's organization called Lunch on Me, where we're going down to the women's uh, center in Skid Row to give them like a, a day, re- a wellness retreat. And so she has Reiki healers come, uh, art teachers, yoga, meditation. And we just do a full day of like aromatherapy and they're getting like Reiki done. Wow. Oh, there's massage comes in. It's like, we do it once a month. And what, what the organization does is it feeds, uh, organic meals to the homeless six days a week. And so, she has gathered all of these resources. There's a couple of, uh, you know, I think Whole Foods is involved and Juice Served Here is involved. Um, there's a couple other people, but she has these like chefs, like trained chefs. We're not recycling food. The chef actually makes a gourmet meal wow. for uh, the homeless. And it's like, you know, her whole idea is I eat organic food. I want to eat fresh, healthy food. I'm sure that people who can't afford it or that are living on the streets, they should have the opportunity to have the same type of nourishment that I have. It's part of that same organization that we're trying to like create different ways, different programs to, to help, you know, people that are underprivileged. That's so, really so cool. I, yeah. So I try to do as, as much as I can now, but, but hopefully I'll, I'll be able to do more this fall, but it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of other things happening right now. And I just, I, I will never, ever, uh, not do something Yeah, that's helping, you know, because that's, that was part of the whole reason of why I started to do what I'm doing. Right, 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 right. And, uh, uh you're also a holistic health coach. It sounds like that's yes. like part and parcel of what you do. So I feel like that is becoming the whole coaching thing is becoming more and more of a popular career choice. And there's all different kinds of coaching. I know that. And that, but, but specifically health coaching or nutritional coaching seems to be such a good complement to yoga teaching. I'm just wondering how you work with people. And if you, if you incorporate yoga into your health coaching or health coaching into your yoga, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm very curious about it all. Well, I feel like, just like you said, it's definitely, it goes hand in hand, right? It's like, 
the the way I see yoga, it's it's a holistic method, and so um, to me, it made sense to to get certified. I was actually nutrition certified before I got my coaching certification, and so I did my nutrition certification with AFBA, the American Fitness practitioners association. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I have to I'm Google like, it. Help me out here. Help me out. <laughs> so, and after that, I, I just, uh, I wanted to continue to learn about nutrition. And as I said, like when I was a teenager, I was severely overweight. I was on the McDonald's diet. I was almost 200 pounds. Oh, and then wow. as, yeah. And then as I got older, I started practicing yoga. I ran a couple marathons I realized that food was such a huge component. And I, I also suffered from like food allergies and all kinds of just stuff. You know, I, I attribute all of my issues to my fucked up childhood. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> don't we all, that, don't that, we right? all <laughs> that, that I'm extremely grateful for. So <laughs> I started researching different types of schools and one of my friends had just completed the uh, Institute of Integrative Nutrition certification. It's a school in New York. This was before they did the online programs. Now, now everything's online. Every anyone can do it anywhere in the world. And it was you study over 100 different types of dietary theories huh. and etc. And so I was like, oh, this is this would be really great. I think it would really go hand in hand with with teaching or just trying to help people learn about their own wellness. And so that's kind of, that was my incentive. Um, and plus I, people had seen my life progress and everyone was asking like, what did you do? How did you do it? How did you change your food? And you know, how were you able to, to change basically your entire life? Yeah. You were like a walking Um, advertisement for (laughs) for your business. It's great. I know. (laughs) So, and I was like, Oh, do this, you know? And so, uh, at first actually before, before I started teaching full time, I was actually, I had a food blog, um, and, and where I wanted to sort of educate privileged communities to eat better. Um, and I started by like kind of transforming my grandmother's recipes into like vegan treats and it was called organic Mexican girl. And so mm, that, sounds that was so like, good. yeah, it was awesome. It got so much, tra- I mean, like in three months, it got so much traction. It was written up in like mind, body green and Fox News Latino. Wow, that is really cool. Please resurrect it someday. (laughs) I know. You know, I've been thinking so many people are like, why did you kill her? And I'm like, I didn't. I didn't kill her. (laughs) She just she just uh, transformed. She there was a little evolutionary process that happened. Plus, it's like I I would love to do it all. But I know you can't. I also want to. <laughs> like, I also want to keep my sanity. You I, know? I hear you. I really do. You know what I mean? Yep. Somebody, somebody listening to us right now is going to get inspired and maybe they want to do it. And you know what? You should. Yes. You should totally do it. We need it. Rosie you know? and I will like, be the first person on the site. I swear I will subscribe. <laughs> I'll promote it. Like, get it done. Yeah. So that was sort of the impetus to, you know, wanting to, to get my education and, and learn about this. And I learned so much about bio-individuality and how one person's food is another person's poison. And, and all of it made sense at the same time, learning about the yoga sutras and yogic philosophy. And I'm just like, well, this whole thing just really, really goes hand in hand. And, you know, we can't actually function because our brain on 
donuts is going to function different than our brain on broccoli. And this is, this is going to affect everything. And so I started, you know, I got my certification and right away, I mean, I was, it wasn't hard for me to find people to work with because people were already contacting me to work on, on different programs. And so I created like a, a detox program. Uh, I created like a 21 day lean and green program. And like, there are all these different types of programs that, that I made for people. Like if they were asking me how to do something in particular, I'm like, Oh, here, try this first, a little jump start to your health. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'd give them a, a little yoga practice, like a 20 minute tutorial on something, or I'd send them a five minute meditation. And I started to kind of just combine everything together. And so what, what I did find is in my process of doing all of it was that the issues were still there. And Hmm. I was realizing that it had a lot more to do with our mental state rather than the food we were eating. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so I started to, to get more into doing life coaching and kind of getting into the realm of just learning more about our triggers and the things that were creating the self-sabotage and the things that were kind of standing in our way from creating a a more sustainable life. I kind of got tired of doing the quick, Oh, 21 days and 14 Hmm. days of this and let's do this. And I was just like, yeah, but this isn't, this works for a second. And then what? It's like, there's no, there's no quick routes to enlightenment, right? There's no, there's no easy route where there's no quick, fix. And so I, I realized I'm like, Oh, this is how do, how do I begin to train my students and train my people that this is a long-term relationship, right? You know, that this is, and I'm a serial monogamist. So for me, it was easy because I like the security of having Mm -hmm. long-term relationships. And I like the process. I, I enjoy things taking a long time, but not everybody is like that. You know, people want a quick way hmm. of, of healing or a quick way of fixing something. And, and I feel like, you know, that'll tie right back into what we were talking about having the teacher student relationship or even a yoga practice. It's like, you know, this, right. It's like things take time, things take years. And, and I feel like when you're able to find the right types of modalities that work for you, you can definitely create a life that's more sustainable for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that is so helpful to, to hear that explained. And because it's true, I feel like, and this is not to knock physicians. Like I have so much respect for for physicians, but just in my own experience, you know, a a physician will give you sort of a, 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 prescription for how to eat well. Right. And if only you could just like go home and wham, bam, boom, do it. We would all, we would all be like perfect, you know, models of health, but it is so much more than that. It's just, it's just so much more than that to try to get yourself into balance and, and like, and food is just one aspect of that. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you say you work on like the mental piece as well. And I'm sure stress reduction and yoga help with that too. And, and, you know, self-study and honing more awareness around your thoughts and your patterns and all those things. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, preach sister. You got (laughs) it. That's right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, do you have anything else you want to offer to any, to, to my listeners out there before we say goodbye? 
I'm like, I just want to offer them everything. I'm like, have it all. <laughs> I'm always just so grateful for forums like this and, you know, people like you and Jason that are out in the world, like trying to just spread the awareness and bring this practice in a way that's more sustainable and loving and just everything that, that you guys do. And just for our ability to have this conversation and to be a part of the same community. I mean, for all of you listeners, like, I mean, you, you all probably know how amazing these two are, but I'm just like, I'm so blown away by your, I mean, you know, this, I interviewed her on my podcast and we talked about this, but I'm just super grateful for, for all of it. If it wasn't for this community and for people like you guys, like I, I wouldn't have anywhere to go to, like I wouldn't have anywhere to turn to. And so I don't know that there's anything I can offer other than my insight, my love and my support for everyone out there listening. And for, for the people who need this, you know, for the people that, that don't know that, that they have people like, like us here, uh, ready to support them in anything and, and everything, uh, that they want to do. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, I, that's so well said. And I feel similarly, like these conversations lift me up so much. I mean, it's part of why I started doing this podcast and because it's really, really easy it's just easy to to stay in our fears and it's easy to stay in our conflicts and our tensions. And th- those are sort of like the easy human choices. And we all need each other to kind of remind each other and, and lift each other up. And I'm really so grateful to be connected to you, Rosie. And I hope we can continue our, our friendship in real life sometime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we yeah, will. yeah. All right. Well, thanks, hon. Thank you so much. Thanks as always for listening. And thanks to those of you who are leaving iTunes reviews. They're still really helpful. It still helps the ranking of the podcast. And with so many more podcasts these days, it's hard to get your podcast noticed on any app or anything. So any sharing that you do on social media, any iTunes reviews are phenomenally helpful to me to try to make this into a viable working life business, which as a working woman, I would like to be able to do. I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 115. And until next week, enjoy your practice.